And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Joel chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 reminds us that very often spiritual recovery is needed and is necessary. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. And so I have to ask us and myself, so what? What difference does it make in my life? Is this just a history lesson? No, it isn't. So what and what difference does this make to us? I would submit that spiritual recovery is needed in America. The church is made up of born-again individuals, each of whom is a priest according to the New Testament. If you hold your place in Joel and go with me to 1 Peter 2, 4 to 5, says this. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Let me back up. This is saying that Jesus Christ, one way to look at him is he's a living stone. He's alive from the dead. He's a living stone. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the cornerstone of this church. He's been rejected by men. But he is nonetheless choice and precious in the sight of his Father. And we are living stones, too. And we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is saying, if you're saved, he's made you to be a priest so that you would offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. About three weeks ago, we saw that the foundational spiritual sacrifice that we ought to make is ourselves as living sacrifices, Romans 12, 1 and 2. But there are other spiritual sacrifices that we are to offer up which are acceptable to God. Grace giving, identifying and utilizing our spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, sharing the good news of the gospel with lost sinners, intercessory prayer for one another and government, These are all acceptable sacrifices that we are to offer up to God through Jesus Christ because we are living stones who are being built into a spiritual house and we are a royal priesthood. Verse 6, For it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Of course, that's Jesus Christ, his person and work. 7, This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, that is the Jewish nation rejected Christ, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus Christ either makes you mad or glad. You can't be neutral about Jesus Christ. Not intellectually, if you're going to be honest intellectually. You cannot be neutral about Jesus Christ. He either makes you mad or glad. He's either a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, or he is your cornerstone. Verse 8, For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Verse 9, But you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a job description for the church. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we, not preachers only, God's people, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, that is Christ, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have some brand new baby Christians in the new members class. It's so refreshing. Their honesty, transparency, and questions, it's just a joy. They're learning to be living stones. They're being built into the holy priesthood. They're um, a joy. And so what is the application for this message? Well, spiritual recovery is needed in America, and the church is made up of born-again individuals, each of whom is a priest. Therefore, for spiritual recovery to come to this fine country, the church, you and me, all the truly born-again, must lead the way in that spiritual recovery. And it must start with us, individually. We who name the name of Jesus Christ must all lead the way in this repentance, because if we do not, who will? Nobody. Albert Einstein, of course, was a great physicist and mathematician, and he lived in a time when the rise of Nazism was uh, sweeping across Germany. And Einstein said that he expected the main opposition to Hitler to come from the press and from the intellectual elite. Didn't happen. The press and the elite were silent. Disappointed, Einstein next looked to the scholars at the German universities to speak out and to publish literature against Nazism and the Fuhrer. Didn't happen because they just caved in and submitted and were silent as the evil escalated. And in the end, Einstein stated that he was stunned to observe that it was only the German churches who had the courage to vigorously resist the Nazis. At the prayer breakfast in Washington last week, the author of a fine biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was hung for being a German pastor opposing Hitler three days before the war ended. That book was given to the president. Our prayer can be that he would read it and find Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and life. So Einstein was stunned to observe that it was only the German churches who had the courage to vigorously resist the Nazis. And that was precisely how the brilliant scientist came to deeply respect Christians who previously he had never respected. I don't have to tell you, America does not respect the church of Jesus Christ as she once did. But I'm convinced that that can be reversed as the church of Jesus Christ leads the way in repentance for sin, and as the church of Jesus Christ opposes the open and shocking evil of our day. 12. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and relenting of evil. Down to verse 15. 
Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they... Among the people say, where is their God? Let's be right with the Lord as individuals, as a church, and may our sanctifying influence affect our nation. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. Today we're going to continue talking about Jesus in tough times. And as we left off last week, we're going to pick up and talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us with peace and how we need the Holy Spirit to help us as we go through our different tr- problems. And like we said last week, we talked about how it's better for the Holy Spirit to be in us than Jesus Christ beside us because the Holy Spirit is there with us all the time, wherever we go. And this morning, we want to continue. We want to look at two different paths of scripture. And we're going to start at John chapter 16, verse 33. And it says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Again, this is Christ talking. He's saying, look, I have overcome the world. All the problems that are around you, and you think that I don't know, you know where to turn, you don't know what to do. You know, here, here I have been through it. I know what it's about. I have overcome the world. And when he talks about the world, not that he has destroyed the world, but he has overcome the culture, what, is, what the culture has thrown at him, the tribulation he's going through. These disciples find themselves, he's saying, look, take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, as, as we consider this passage, and we've talked about last week, Jesus himself said, it's better for me to go and send you my helper. You see, I think too many times in our lives, we want to hold on to just Jesus. And nothing wrong with that. But the reality is that we need to remember that the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit is there to help us. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us through all our different problems. But we need to also understand that as we go through these different problems and trials and tribulations, that Jesus is saying, look, come to me. Come to me. Don't turn to every other thing. And the reality is that when we go through these tough times, people turn to things that they shouldn't turn to. They turn to drugs, alcohol. You know, they turn to all sorts of things. They turn to people who give them bad advice. But we need to turn to God. We need to ask the Holy Spirit who lives in us to help us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 to 30, it says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, we may be going through a tough time in our lives and we may be struggling through things. And here it is, an an open invitation to come to me. You see, we in our culture today, we don't like to give an open invitation because we don't know what to expect. We wouldn't say, all right, you know what? I'm going to have an open invitation to my wedding. Anybody could come. We wouldn't want to do that because the reality is we don't want everyone there. We know who we want there. But here Jesus gives us an open invitation for all. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, we need rest. We need, you know, to rest in him, rest in his plans. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Again, as we consider what Jesus went through, and we know the cross, and we understand when Jesus went through the cross in Isaiah 53, it says that he went and he did not open his mouth. He did that for us. He did that for you and for me. And, and, and you know what? Yes, he asked, as we looked at the first week, he said, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But he knew that when he was going through this, that whatever the Father's will was, that's what was going to happen. And I think we all need this reminder as well in our own lives because we need to remember that when we go through these trials and these, these, these tribulations, that there is comfort. We need to find comfort. And yes, we, it's great to have people around you. It's great for that person to come alongside you. But let us not forget to go to Christ. Let us not go to him because he knows our problem better than anyone knows our problem. I think too many times in our lives we think that we can do it on our own. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a person, and I'll be honest, I'm a person with someone I think I can continue to do and do and do. But the reality is that I can't. I need to give a burden to Christ. As it says, cast your burdens onto Jesus for he cares for you. He wants to help you. He wants to be there for you. Another passage of scripture is, is Romans 15 verse 13. It says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Again, as you consider this one scripture here, the God of hope. The God of hope. You see, we, could, we can't put our hope in all these other things. We need to put our hope in Christ. And understand that the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us as believers it gives us that hope. You know, for me in my own life, I can tell you, if I didn't have the Holy Spirit living in me, I know what type of person I would be. And I don't, it would be an ugly person. It would be a person that would not want anything to do with Christ, who would want nothing to do with, with anything to do with the Scriptures, nothing. I would be doing my own thing. And who knows where I would be. But because as I look around the world and all the troubles come my way and everything, I have a hope. I have a hope in Christ. So I want to challenge you this morning as we, you know, look at this and, and we close this particular part here. I want to ask you a question. Where is your hope? What do you put your hope in? Do you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? Do you have a hope that you can say, you know what? This is my hope. I have a hope in Christ. I have an anchor in Christ. I'm on solid ground because of Christ. Because we have to understand that everything around us is sinking sand. We're going to fall through. It's going to collapse. But when our foundation is Christ, we have a hope. So I would like to challenge you. If you don't know Christ as your Lord personal Savior, that you would come to know Christ as your Lord personal Savior. Because this is the only hope that one can have. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Good morning, Sister Lorraine Green. We're glad to have you in the radio studio today. Uh, just to let our listeners know, Lorraine Green is the Senior Director for Global Ministry in the Sub-Saharan part of Africa for her mission, which is TEAM. And uh, she's been with us these days in Nassau and been a real blessing to us for our World Missions Conference. And I wanted to visit with you, Lorraine, today about the uh, group in Nigeria called Boko Haram. And I hope you could help our listeners to know more about this group. I spent 30 years in Chad, which is a uh, country uh, neighboring on Nigeria, 
But uh, the northeast corner of Nigeria, as it butts up against uh, Cameroon and Lake Chad and the country of Chad, and also Nigeria, in that area, there is a, a tribe that has been very resistant to the gospel for many years. For many years, both expat, um, expatriate missionaries and national Nigerian missionaries have worked in that, among that people group, but to little effect. And uh, we have worked with um, tribes related to the tribe in northeast Nigeria on the Chadian side of the border, again, for 50 years, to little effect. Good missionaries, good gospel, um, a lot of um, good work having been done among these people, but they have um, are an Islamized tribe, and they have been very resistant to any idea of converting to Christianity. In these more recent years, I would say eight to ten years ago, this group of radical um, Islamists grew out of that, within that region of northeastern Nigeria. And some of their key leaders come from this particular tribal group. This group, by the way, represents about nine million people. Mm. So it's not a small community. But just a handful of leaders have come out of that group and they have um, radicalized themselves and they have carried on a reign of terror in northeastern Nigeria that has spilled over and affected the people groups in northern Cameroon, Chad, and Niger. And uh, many people have suffered. Tra uh, villages have been decimated. Children have been captured. You maybe have heard of the Chibok girls, about 800 uh, schoolgirls that were captured at one time. Some of them have been released and dribbled back, but many of them are still missing. And uh, they have captured and taken into these uh, camps. Boko, the fighters for Boko Haram hide in, in the forest and in the rural areas. And uh, they basically have decimated a large uh, portion of northeastern Nigeria, cut off the trade routes, conducted many um, bombings, terrorist bombings, particularly in the city of uh, Maiduguri. And it's been um, a, a terrible thing. We had missionaries up in the Lake Chad region. We had to re withdraw them for security reasons. Also, uh, in the Nigerian side, they too have withdrawn their missionaries, both expat and national missionaries, because of the terrorism up there. Interesting enough, Many of these people from this resistant people group that I was telling you about, representing some 9 million people total, many of the villages have been taken into refugee camps for their own protection, 80% of which are women and children. And there um, they have begun to hear the gospel for the first time in their life. Missionaries and um, of any stamp were not, are not allowed into the refugee camps, but many of the soldiers... Uh, from southern Nigeria were responsible to maintain order in these camps. And for lack of missionary presence, these um, soldiers, military coming from southern Nigeria, often Christians themselves, found themselves the only ones available to share the gospel. And they just naturally have been sharing the gospel with these refugees from these uh, villages and areas decimated. Praise the Lord. Many have come to Christ, even as some numbered as high as in the thousands mm -hmm. of women and children. And um, as things settle down in one area, they come out of the camps and dribble back into their homelands um, in northeastern 
Nigeria. I was at a consultation in February where mission and church leaders from across the Sahel, which is that borderland that runs east-west, just south of the Sahara Desert, we met together in consultation. This is where I heard about these refugee camps and the people that are coming to Christ. Mm. They said that they're dribbling back into their homelands. And uh, some of the uh, villages then are open to the gospels. Others are, are still resistant. But nevertheless, the gospel is having its first impact in that tribal area, which has been so resistant to this day. Hmm. A co-worker once said to me, don't be afraid of radical Islam. It is the number one re uh, thing that embitters the people against their religion and opens their ears and, and their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of peace and forgiveness and love and, and righteousness. Interesting. What uh, they meant for bad, God turned to good. Exactly. Wow. Thank you for that wonderful update that I certainly had not heard about, and maybe some of our listeners are hearing about it for the first time as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that your gospel, your good news, is your power unto salvation for all who will believe. And this morning we give you the glory and the praise for the, those in the Boko Haram tribe and people group that are coming to faith in Christ. Help them to grow up into the full stature of Jesus. May suitable uh, assemblies and churches spring up, uh, whether they are secret ones or open ones, and that they would find, the new believers would find teaching and worship and fellowship and evangelism effort come out of those gatherings. Again, Lord, we give you the thanks and the praise for the new uh, brothers and sisters that we have in that part of Africa. Yes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We hear at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15 gives rise to the question, is Paul suggesting that a person who is deserted by an unbelieving spouse has the right to remarry? Many interpreters of verse 15 have understood Paul to be modifying the teaching of Jesus by allowing divorce and remarriage in cases of desertion. After calling for Christians to live with their unbelieving partners, Paul writes, Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases. It is argued that the words not under bondage grant permission to divorce to the unbeliever and remarry. 
But would Paul permit in verse 15 what he forbids in verses 10 to 13? Under the command of Jesus, remarriage after divorce is not allowed. See verses 10 and 11. In verses 12 through 16, Paul has been arguing his case for the permanence of marriage. In verses 12 and 13, he clearly prohibits the believer from separating from the unbelieving spouse. Verse 14 provides a reason for maintaining the union. Through the continuation of the relationship, the unbelieving spouse and children are sanctified, that is, set apart, to receive a gospel witness, which would be unlikely in the case of a divorce. Now in verse 15, Paul responds to the practical question, does the biblical teaching require me to preserve the marriage at the cost of becoming a slave to a deserting, unbelieving spouse? Paul's answer is no. If the unbeliever insists on leaving the relationship, the believer is not under bondage, the word translated under bondage, duluo, literally means to be a slave. The abandoned spouse need not act like a slave, following the deserting spouse all over the empire trying to preserve the union. Instead, the abandoned spouse may find peace in this difficult situation. Nothing in verse 15 suggests the possibility of a new marriage for the abandoned spouse. To argue for remarriage based on this verse is to read something into the text that is neither stated nor implied. While there is nothing in this text providing grounds for the remarriage of a deserted spouse, one wonders if there is any passage that sheds further light on this question. The teaching of Jesus and Paul are consistent. Divorce and remarriage constitute an act of adultery. See Matthew 5, verse 32, Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, Mark 10, verses 1 through 12, Luke 16, verse 18, Romans 7, verses 2 and 3. The exception for porneia is discussed in the question on Matthew 19, verse 9. For an in-depth study of those divorce and remarriage texts, see my book, The Divorce Myth, published in Minneapolis by Bethany in 1981. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas And remember everyone needs a savior. <laughs>